1: What's good, so... internet? This is Austin Walker coming to you from Waypoint Radio. I almost said coming to you live <laughs> again, but I didn't say it. So now it that just... means
2: the the jokes like started on Friday, went back right. to Monday, and now is now Tuesday? referenced again then then on, on Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh, yes. the timeline on this is just
1: joining me, Patrick yeah. Lefick, Danielle Riendo. Hi. We are here to talk about a story that just went up uh, on the uh, on the old uh, waypoint.vice.com dot com website. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the headline of that story is yet because we're talking about it before it went <laughs> well, on. I, I,
2: I know what the headline is now. We could say... Right. <laughs> I don't know what that uh, the headline... Uh, it, I mean, that's the sort of uh, neither here nor there. Uh, basically... Yes.
1: Uh, Patrick, uh, you wrote wh- this story.
2: Yeah, a little while ago, um, uh, gained access to a bunch of documents related to... Uh, so United Front Games, uh, which uh, it was responsible for uh, probably one of the most underrated... Uh, Open world games of the last ten years, like a real, I think when you say the terms cult classic, I think uh, Sleeping yeah. Dogs falls into that um, basket. Uh, they went uh, uh, the not bankrupt, but they went you know they went out of business. on I'm not sure of like the exact like status of that studio and whether everyone's been laid off. But it's the United Front Games does not exist anymore um right um, as of october um and a little while ago uh i was passed on a bunch of documents related to um a planned sequel for sleeping dogs 2 um which was uh sort of actively in a pitch and pre-production phase uh back in 2013 um hmm. the timeline for that is around the time when uh developers were still c- uh, talking about playstation 4 and xbox one as uh, uh durante and uh orbis Durang- or Uh-oh, orbis durango yes. durango durango, durango not durante um, where am I get Durante from? Where is is
1: Durante a boss in a fighting game? must be.
2: Durante... It's gotta be a street like a virtual fighter, fighter
1: fighter. Yeah, yeah or something <laughs> like that.
2: Oh, Durante's like the guy I'm not even gonna get into it. It's not worth explaining. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> in my head, in my, my head know. I know where
2: I in my head I know where I pulled it from, which is fine. Okay, we'll talk um, later. Yeah. But we um, yeah, so uh, it's and it's a it's a ton, I mean, hundreds of, of documents sort of explainings like a snapshot of um, where United Front Games was in terms of uh, pitching this to uh, Square Enix, who uh, owns the rights to sleeping dogs. Like if people remember, uh, Sleeping Dogs was technically the third entry in the True Crime series from Activision. Yes. Yes. Um, back when they made True Crime streets of LA, uh, True Crime. Uh, I think it was just New York New of the streets York, New of New York. York City
1: I think it was New York City yeah. I liked that game a lot and in retrospect it does not hold up
2: um, <laughs> and then the third entry in that was supposed to be Hong Kong made by United Front Games um, they ended up dropping it as Activision was kind of getting out of I guess what you would call like sort of B tier games which is not meant to be derogatory as much as it is like you know, it, there's a certain class of game in sort of like production value, um, yeah. that, like that is Grand Theft Auto. Um, I use I always use like games like Singularity as like a good example of like it's a great game, but it's it's not, you know, in a certain class yes. in terms of production and budget and say mostly sales expectations. Um, yeah. um and anyway, so it's, it's, that went off. Square Enix bought the rights to it, renamed it. Um, Sleeping Dogs, and uh, yeah, so we have this article up that kind of walks through what uh, Sleeping Dogs 2 was possibly going to be. It got up until pretty deep into the pre-production phase, and then it was formally pitched to Square. Uh, Square passed on it, um, and then a lot of sort of the meta elements of the game about how they were going to handle their open world uh, turned into or were brought into Triad Wars, which was a...
1: Huge like free-to-play version of a, Sleeping Dogs. A game,
2: a game no one wanted, um, yeah. and, and by all accounts that uh, United Front Games Ugh. did not want to make, but was kind of their way of salvaging what Sleeping Dogs 2 was as a pitch, um, and then also the fact that the studio was kind of deeply investing in the idea of free-to-play um, at the time, as were a lot of studios. That's
1: the, that's the thing, one of the striking things for me about this story and, and about the, the pitch documents that we had was that – and with the fact that it ended up being triad wars uh, or like part of triad wars was that the they both reflect fads at the time and so the pitch documents have a lot of these like mobile like two what's the second Second screen screen
2: experience
1: second screen experiences some like mobile gaming stuff triad wars tried to do the free-to-play thing and like God, sleeping dogs deserves better than that. Like it feels like, and this is not, I'm not saying that this is what the thought process was, but it feels like the, the thought process was like, how do we take this thing that we know is good and make it successful and make it like Mm -hmm. profitable when it's, like on its face is just already a dope good one of these games. One of the best of these games that have come out, like you said, in the last decade. And it just sucks just like it just couldn't succeed on its own merits, I guess. Or or the costs were too high. Like, we don't know why Square passed on that specific pitch and and why it was retooled into Triad Wars. But it no matter how you shake it out, like it's just it's just a bummer that we just didn't get that game.
2: Yeah, it's Three Dogs had so much character to it. Yeah. Like it was just it was a funny game. It was a weird yep. game. It took place in a part of the world that wasn't New York, San Francisco, yeah. you know, like...
1: But it also had an insider vibe. Like, it didn't come across like... It wasn't like oh, white wow, guy well, white
2: guy going to Hong Kong and fish right. out of water, right? Right,
1: right. In fact, it was very much about a guy from Hong Kong who had to deal with the fact that his perspective on Hong Kong had shifted and that he wasn't part of the same parts of the community that he used to be. A very, like, internal focused game which is really cool and and like you said funny charming dark when it needed to be dark very a flexible game um for a flexible time
3: and it it definitely (laughs) i i had a lot of really really good experiences streaming it and it was actually one of the one of the earlier games in my own sort of life of streaming uh and i have a lot of queer uh sort of people who like to watch my streams and there were a lot of dudes who were like he is Yo. really hot, and and yeah. I, I don't mean to make this sound like you know I only want to talk about who's hot uh, in games, but it was, it was like <laughs> a feel really free cool to. thing. It was yes. a really cool thing to see an East Asian guy who's presented as like macho and hot and like like a Competent. sexy dude who's confident yes. and like you know you know walks around. He's got a great butt, and like people were actually talking about this in in my chat about like. You know, so often in games, like, East Asian dudes are seen as, like, not as masculine or sort of not as macho. And there's this whole sort of, like, gross stereotype in that way about it. And this was, like, really big for some people. They were really super into that sort of thing. Well, like, it goes
1: the other way where it's like, oh, if you're East Asian, you're either, like, the nerdy tech guy or you're Bruce Lee. Yeah, and or you just this a ninja, was, like a faceless Or you're a ninja. Kinda, right, kinda, right, know. exactly. Yeah. So obviously this guy was a, a martial arts expert, but one of the things that happens when you set a game in a place like Hong Kong is there are lots of East Asian characters in that game. And so yes. you end up with a, a diversity of potential reads. Like, oh, it turns out there's lots of different people in East Asia. There's lots of types of people in Hong Kong, just like there's lots of types of people everywhere. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why, uh, not to bring it back again to Watch Dogs too, but I'm glad that there are multiple black characters in the same way that I'm glad that there are multiple female characters. Like, oh, that's one way that you, that you can address the problem of feeling like you're, you're creating a stereotype is by increasing the amount of people from different backgrounds. Um I think I think Sleeping Dogs did that super well. Like there was such a cool range of different types of characters and obviously that's not a, a an automatic solution every time, but it was it was handled really well uh, in that game.
2: Yeah, and the and the setting for Sleeping Dogs 2 sounded like it was going to be like again I, I, it was going to be a set in China um, right. and like I can't, you know what other game is going to go and simulate open world China, like they were talking about in the documents, you know, making sure that like all the local dialects were represented and like, right. they there, they would, you know, and that was one thing that like, you know, sleeping dogs did really well. Like he just kind of felt, even though it was like this, you know, uh, you know, this exaggerated version of, of, of a Hong Kong city um, uh, that they, they handled it with a care that still feels like you have, uh, you're, you're a part of, uh, of that world. And so it would have been fascinating to see them apply that to another uh, part of the world that it's just hard to imagine other Western developers really touching on. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's going to shock me if they're, you know, I would love if something like watchdogs decided to go to somewhere like China, but it, you know, it seems more likely watchdogs is going to go to London than it's going right. to go to China. sure um And, sure. you know, it's just, they had a lot of really ambitious ideas for sleeping dogs to there. So sort of, we, we kind of outlined a couple of them in the, um, um in the article, but you know, it was, you know, it's kind of confusing whether it was going to be sort of like a fully, single-player co-op game like the co-op mm-hmm. stuff it sounds like they hadn't really settled on what it was going to be whether it was a thing that you were going to be able to play co-op but whether you know there were two characters being set yeah. up um and the story was going to split um and you're going to be able to play as both of them how that would have worked with the actual sort of co-op mechanics it was kind of unclear but it was that like their second screen experience uh actually sounded kind of fascinating whether it actually worked out um, in the way they pitched, uh, I don't know, but you know they, they were talking about using cloud the cloud saves of people's uh, of games to create sort of aggregate, uh, data for the amount of crime in different parts of the city. Right. So sort of like in an MMO, uh, like let's say Planet Side is a good example of this, where like you're, you can all go attack certain areas of the world and like turn it onto your side. Now right. that happens in a game where everyone's playing in the same world together. They were trying to bring, they were calling it massively single player, which is like taking these mm-hmm. elements of MMOs, bringing them into the single player. So it's like, well, if the community decides, all right, we're going to take this part back in the northeastern part of the city, we're taking that back from X gang, Right. Um, if the, the whole community had to work towards that, and then it aggregated the data from cloud saves, again, I don't know how they, if they could have it, actually it, done the well, cloud it saves, me, but, they, er, er, but they could have done er, server data and gotten something right. in that well, direction.
1: Like one, that also reflects that we didn't know, they didn't necessarily know where things were at with the then-upcoming next-gen consoles. Correct, yeah. Like, because obviously the, the cloud was a big question mark for a long time. Like, how is, it, is this going to be Atars? What is this going to be? <laughs> um, but it does remind me of just, like, world tendency in Demon's Souls, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, right, the whole community can get together to work towards this really obtuse Thing can and you ex- have okay, some effect. C- hold
2: on. You, you okay? So, D- world tendency is only in Demon
1: Souls. Okay, I can't um, just say world tendency and people no. understand what you, I'm and, talking and,
2: about. And you can, and you can <laughs> like me, have played through the entirety of Demon Souls and not even know what world tendency is because the game doesn't actually explain it or how the mechanics of it work.
1: <laughs> understand that I first played Demon Souls in Japanese so oh, wow. figuring out what world tendency was then was even weirder
2: so you should explain cuz it is a really fascinating concept and it's un- easy to understand why they ditched it but yeah. w- what actually it is uh-huh. you should probably So the way elaborate. world
1: tendency worked in in uh Demon Souls is that there was a, a kind of a
0: range from pure white to pure black um For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
1: And it was like the aggregate of the way people were playing the game in their own, uh, in their own personal saves. Um, and I, there was a bunch of things that could shift it from white to black or from black to white or from neutral or whatever, um. And depending on which side it was on, different things would happen. So if it was Black World Tendency, enemies have higher HP and attack power. They also have more souls. They have, like, more XP that you could get. Um, and there'd be additional, like, super tough NPCs all over the place. Um, and the way that you could you could uh, change it was, like, oh, if you kill a boss, it shifts towards white. Uh, but if you, if you die, or if you kill certain other bosses, it shifts back towards black, depending on, like, if there were, like, certain optional bosses, stuff like that. If you died... Uh, In certain ways, it would shift back towards black. But if you killed an invader, it would shift back towards white. And so the the community... Was able to like push and pull on it in certain times where it was like, oh, you'll get extra XP if it's a for white tendency or, or whatever it would be. Or, like, here's a special thing that will happen this weekend. Like, oh, we'll have a, a black tendency weekend. Um, I which think is there also were, like th- certain
2: locations that you couldn't get Sorry, to just that unless, term. yes,
1: totally, absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, there definitely were or like drops that would only happen during a pure black world tendency, um, stuff like that, which is like really cool and and ahead of its time and completely obtuse and bad like i love it but it's also stupid <laughs> it's a, it's it a
2: great it's a great idea but again like it's you know yeah. it's sort of like you know poise it's like it, it's a it's a really interesting mechanic that is not outlined and so instead you have to like read facts and message boards to understand <laughs> how to d- use it and and sometimes from software has really great ideas that it kind of buries in ways uh yeah so so to. i
1: think that there's there's definitely something uh Something there for, like, thinking about the way that sort of massively single-player stuff works. Presumably, Sleeping Dogs 2, if this pitch had gone forward, would have been a little bit more uh, up front with, like, oh, hey, this is why you're doing this. Because they were kind of positioning it in these documents as being a big pitch to feel connected, not just across actual co-op but with everybody else all around the world and then the other thing was like the mobile game was supposed to tie into that too where you were basically a cop who was assigning resources to address those sorts of things and like sending extra police squads to the areas where the crime was and stuff like that so yeah so
2: like you know if you summoned a uh you know a helicopter to monitor the area in the mobile game like on your bus ride home when you logged into the game on your console uh or on your pc you would see like that increased helicopter presence in
1: the game that's the pitch anyway again like it just didn't it didn't happen one of my favorite most interesting things was uh this notion of procedurally procedural campaigns for co-op that like one of the challenges that they outline in these documents is that the um it's tough to make co-op stuff matter because what if someone wants to drop out what if someone can only play for a little bit what if like is there the save is that going to go across both both people's things um does does someone not want to be the co-op character and instead wants to be Uh, way and so like you can't so there are all these things and one of the solutions that they proposed for it was this notion of like a procedurally generated mission like mission campaign like a little mini campaign where it would like pull from all of these different possible questions and like and scenarios and kind of build with building blocks a little kind of uh little mini, like, mission structure of a couple of missions where you're investigating a crime or you're going after a mob boss or whatever. And one of the coolest things about it was that there's a chance that it could have a twist in it. So, like, you could start off the mission structure with you and your co-op friend investigating a uh, a corrupt politician or something and figuring out, like, oh, where, is, where are they taking the money from or whatever. And then the that in the middle of that campaign, the, there could be a twist, like the politician ends up dead. And so now the mission isn't about investigating the politician anymore it's about investigating the murder and that sort of stuff is really cool and could have been really unique it could have also just been really paint by numbers and and bad like execution is a hell of a thing Uh, it's it's (laughs) tough to it's tough to stick the landing sometimes but ideas like that are so much more exciting to me than like some of the other stuff in here which is just like oh you could punch people until they fall into glass now instead of just grabbing them and throwing them into glass you know
2: (laughs) Major change. Um, Oh, that stuff is
1: appreciated, but...
2: Yeah, and what's interesting about reading these documents, and part of the reason, you know, I think it's interesting to talk about this game and to to show people these documents is is the granularity is, like, you you take that difference in the sequel for granted because it just happens, Um, but actually seeing all these little tiny steps outlined, thought through, um, like, just seeing the specificity that goes into the early phases of thinking about every aspect of... Of building a game like you, you know, how someone goes through a piece of glass, you you know, someone had to talk through that. Like, how are we right. doing it? Are so, we doing it like so, the old right. game? Are we changing it? And why right. are someone we doing it like
1: in the old game, you had to punch somebody until they got dizzy, grab them, and then take them to a big pane of glass and throw them through it. That's cool, but it's not as cool. Like, when I watch Jackie Chan movies, when I watch martial arts movies, sometimes he does, he does a roundhouse kick and it spin, it knocks someone through the pane of glass. We want to do that also. And like, being able to see that someone made that decision, or there's a document that we had that was like um the the kind of like open world npc behaviors where it was like okay the thing that we want to introduce and this is is super important is like the a working a set of working class npcs we want there to be people who are taking care of the world who are janitorial who are in the service industry we want them to all have a, a whole set of unique animations like someone sat down and said that's a a priority for us this time around we already have people walking around and shopping and stuff we want there to be this feeling that this is a world that's being lived in and taken care of by this blue collar set of of workers and like awesome like that's a really cool not like i'm not saying awesome that's like, like a good thing i mean it is also a cool good thing but awesome that we have that insight into that's how those decisions can get made. It's one way that those decisions can get made is that at the high level, someone can say, like, we're prioritizing this. What goes into that? How many animations do we need? How many NPCs do we need? What's the case we're trying to make for why we need the budget to approve that? Like, all that stuff is fascinating to me, and it's it's great to be able to look inside of that that world a little bit.
3: As yeah, somebody who's... Oh, oh go sorry, go ahead, Patrick. I was just no, going to no. say, as somebody who's been looking a lot into sort of the Deus Ex design documents that were leaked, uh, you right. know, the week before... Uh, it's been fascinating and instructive to see how much of uh, a game design document on on this high level, on this sort of AAA level. I use game design documents in a class I teach now, but
0: you know right. these, these
3: these way bigger games. Uh, how much of it is sort of getting buy in and, and selling the ideas to not only the people on yeah. the team, but also the people who need to you know approve budgets and and things like that. It's it's re- totally really just been so instructive to take a look. That's the
1: thing is that. like these docs were a pitch to Square Enix, yes. and so there's lots of like great stuff about the the way in which you should imagine the world looking and the sort of touchstones, the kind of like pop culture touchstones there's a lot of pictures of Blade Runner in these yes, documents yes um which is cool of just like oh cool like this is the thing that they're trying to evoke this is the space that they want to evoke this is the, the the attitude and you could definitely tell that there are parts where it feels like or you can't definitely tell but to me it seems like there are parts where it's like okay this is the pitch we're making like did we have to go all in on this pitch of course this stuff could get scaled back like there are different versions of the as someone who's recently gone through pushing a big project through when you when you do that you kind of say Okay, uh, what are the different budgets we're ready to work with? Like, let's do the, the. I think internally, like the, the the nomenclature we were using for the seventy two hour live stream was there was the cheeseburger deluxe, <laughs> which was like everything we get to do. We want to do everything. We want to have cool guests. We want it to look gorgeous. And then there was like just the fries at the bottom, <laughs> right? Which is just like also this is before it was sponsored by Carl's Jr. We had that nomenclature <laughs> like a month before Carl's Jr. Carl came knew. into the picture. You know, Carl um, knew
3: somehow.
1: So yeah, that that is really cool to see the kind of flexibility or even. Just just like oh right like the person who's doing the cinematics might have a different idea of what is needed than the person who's doing the open world design than the person who's doing the co-op design and i i don't know i just i like one of the things i i hope we're able to do over the next you know for, for as long as there is a waypoint is to shine light into the development process and to make it clear that making games takes a bunch of people working their fucking asses off and and so like this is and they're all really good at different things and they're all bringing totally. such
3: different perspectives to totally. what is being made so yeah
1: Absolutely. So, so uh, anybody else have anything to say about Sleeping Dogs too, Patrick?
2: I, I did like that. Speaking of like granular details, looking uh, into these documents and watching someone outline how an NPC would go into a bathroom and take a piss.
1: Was that one <laughs> of the things in there? There is
2: a sequence in there. I don't. I don't know if it's in the documents we're, so that we're releasing, because um, again, we have literally access to hundreds, and we tried to pick sort of ones that, you know, best served giving right. people a glimpse into what it what it looks like when people formalize in, right. in written words how no one how needs to see the, the call
1: sheet for when the motion capture people were going to go in to record <laughs>
2: yeah um piss animation yeah. But yeah, there's one that like outlines like here's what NPCs could do, and there's like a little graphic of like NPC walks in, NPC goes up to toilet, NPC pisses in toilet, like NPC washes <laughs> hands, NPC leaves bathroom. Right. And it's like, right, okay. If you want to do that, someone has to
3: like sit there and sit at a
1: computer and write yeah. it down. They just spend yeah. twenty minutes like, okay, what and then they have to like leave, then come back like, oh shit, I completely forgot they have to close the door to the to the toilet, of course, or, or whatever, right? Like there's always a thing. There's always a, like everything takes people. It all it's all yes. people, man. Oh, I love it. I love that stuff so much. So thanks so much, Patrick, obviously for, for doing the reporting on this. Sure. Um, you can check that out at, at, at waypoint.vice.com. It should be the top story today. And you know, probably, probably tomorrow we'll keep it up there on, as the, as the big lead. Um, if you, uh, if you, if you haven't heard me say, say it already yesterday, have a good, uh, have a good holiday this week, everybody. I, I hope you, uh, enjoy it. I hope it doesn't get too rough at the, the old Thanksgiving table. Yeah. For those of us, for those of us listening in, in, th- uh in Thanksgiving, for those of us listening <laughs> to Thanksgivingville, Is that, wait, did they, huh,
3: Did Trump Thanksgiving rename Thanksgiving? Is that what our, our country's called now?
1: That's it. We live in Thanksgiving. Everything changed. Yep. Gotta our give country. thanks all the time.
3: Yay! Keep
1: good. the thanks in Thanksgiving, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so have a good Thanksgiving if you're in the states. If you're international, have a good Thursday and Friday and, yeah. and other days this week. Uh, our content will be a little bit content. Our content Great. will be a little Woo. bit slim this week because Woo. of the holiday week. But we'll still have some stuff coming, so so tune into that. We will have a podcast on Friday because, after all, it's a Friday and you need to hear us. You need us in your ears. So tune back in for that. Uh, you can find me at Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. Patrick, where can people find you? Uh, you
2: can find me at Patrick Kruppik on Twitter.
1: And
3: Danielle. I am, I am Danielle RI on Twitter.
1: Uh, and shout-outs to whoever ends up editing this podcast. This little mini-cast, probably you, Danielle. Probably me. <laughs> uh, shout-outs to everybody who helped make this story happen. It took a lot of people to work out the details of this sort of reporting, so thanks to, to everybody who, who I spoke to. There's a car outside honking. No no shout-outs to that car. Uh, join sure. us together, again on Friday, uh, where you can hear us talk about your letters that you sent in. It's fun. It'll be a fun fun letter cast. All right. Peace.